Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, we are here to talk Arizona Cardinals football, and um, it's going to be kind of a tough a tough night to talk about. My name is Blake Murphy. If you haven't listened to the show before, uh, if you have, you're probably going to be familiar, at least what we're going to talk about next with my co-host, uh, the venerable John Venerable here. We're going to talk about another Arizona Cardinals lost, one that probably is the next level of rock bottom for this team. A loss to the four-win Atlanta Falcons in a, another 40-burger that was hung on the team, lose 40-14. to 14. Basically, only seven points came from garbage time. And this just kind of is be the, the hit the fan moment, I think, for most fans. So let's let's go over this. Let's talk about it for that one. We've, we've kind of hit that wall, I think, as Cardinals fans where either we just don't care anymore or we have to vent. And so a little bit of venting, I think, is what we have untapped for tonight. Uh, but first, before I check in, at least, and we kind of go off onto the uh, rant for how this season has gone off. John, how are you doing overall tonight? I'm doing great, Blake. Uh, we can see, thankfully, the light at the end of the tunnel. That is the 2018 season for the Arizona Cardinals. And, and you mentioned it, Blake. It is the worst showing by a Cardinal team that I that I can remember. I know some have tried to argue that other seasons have been worse. Um, the Cardinals right now are projected to have a worse point differential than last year's winless Cleveland Browns team. And they're going to eclipse that mark by a large margin, assuming they've already passed it. Now you're just assuming they're going to get blown out these next two games against playoff teams and the L.A. Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. They're going to have the worst point differential probably since the winless Detroit Lions in 2008. <laughs> That's how bad this team is. They're getting blown out at a rapid pace. They're not just losing. They're being embarrassed. Games forget competitive they're not watchable really after the second quarter by halftime. You can turn these games off. So many of them mirror each other. And it's to a point now where even speculating whether or not Wilkes and or Kime are going to return is kind of an insult to the franchise itself, because what other franchise would tolerate this kind of ineptitude? And it's things have gotten so bad that you just wonder who's going to be left standing come next year. I, I've seen speculation, Blake, and, and personally I've gone through the roster. Uh, I think you could see an upheaval of the majority of this roster. I think at least 50 or 60% of these guys mm. could be gone. And that's the beauty of the NFL, right? You can flip a roster, you know, on a dime in one off season, whereas in the NBA and major league baseball, you know, you're bad, you're bad for a while. I think the Cardinals, you could see drastic changes and you should to a, to a team right now. And again, I know a lot of it is coaching related, but the talent on this team far less than we anticipated. And it was, you know, it was escalated even further by a 40 to 14 drubbing 
from the previous <laughs> four and nine Atlanta Falcons. That yeah, that sets in for you, and it's it's pretty brutal, Blake. Yeah, the, the fact that it was a bad, it was a normally it was a matchup that you'd talk about as being maybe more favorable for the Cardinals. A bad Falcons team is not able to run the football, rank thirty second in running the football, which. Of course, we've seen this story before with the Arizona Cardinals. The team comes in as the worst rushing team in the NFL. They've magically seemed to get fixed and get elevated from that position overall. And it was just an expectation of just how awful it was on offense where Rosen was out there and uh, like to his credit, at least he hung in, took six sacks, eight more hits for that one. This is the first time where that newly revamped offensive line really took a beating. Joe Barksdale at least took a concussion, left the game. Brandon Williams had to come in for uh, I believe uh, David Amerson, at least uh, both are still on the concussion protocol for this week, but it was just one of those losses where you're just looking at punch after punch after punch. And it, it feels like you're, you're watching Apollo Creed go down in Rocky. You're like you got to throw the damn towel. You got to throw the towel. And at some point and it feels that's exactly what the Arizona Cardinals did for no less than the third time this season with having the, just the fact that this defense has now given up on Steve Wilkes multiple times. They've given up on this team multiple times. And it feels like if you didn't know any better, it would almost feel like that the Arizona Cardinals were like Josh Rosen haters for the fact that they've put him through such a difficult process of not being able to surround him, not only with wide receiver or receiving talent. There were still multiple drops that we saw on Sunday. One such play, I remember Rosen scrambled out of the pocket. It's Ricky Seals-Jones for a first down until it's dropped. All teams have to do really is just bracket Larry Fitzgerald. As long as the Cardinals don't come up with a creative enough game plan, you got to see a, what the Cardinals could have been. That's probably, I think, what's most frustrating and maddening to fans is you look at that first drive of the game. They were effective in running the ball with David Johnson, a 40-yard pass completion where they saw David Johnson on a downfield route, something we have talked about and begged for it for weeks, something we haven't seen all year, completely roasts. Um, I, don't know if, I don't think it was Keanu Neal. I think he's out for this but completely roasts uh, the linebacker that they have goes in at least punches in a touchdown for that one. Cardinals are up 7-0 they had a three and out of the Atlanta Falcons You're like okay perfect this is it and then you realize this is the same game that we've seen the Cardinals play before every week week in and week out there's been nothing that's changed Cardinals get punched in the face Atlanta Falcons hang 40 consecutive points on them you just end up or you just see the same story and I think that's part of the reason why from what you're hearing now, it's all but a certainty that Steve Wilkes is going to be a one and done. He's, he's not made it a difficult decision for the Cardinals. He's made it a very, very easy decision to say, look, we, we just can't have this guy back. We, we can't sell this to our fans. We can't sell cutting coaches to our fans. I don't even, I, they may be questioning right now if they can even sell Steve Kime coming back to their fans. It's been brutal. Now, the only reward that we've seen for the Cardinals and or what is it is that you got to see a second win from the San Francisco 49ers, which is much of a reward that might be to see you know the Niners fall down the draft and the Arizona fall up you're still recognizing the fact that the Cardinals are seeing the elite coaches in the division even a guy like Kyle Shanahan can go out and can beat the Seahawks on a given basis we've seen in the past Bruce Arians go out be able to beat uh, the Seahawks with Drew Stanton no less at least or we able to go two and two with a Blaine Gabbert the Cardinals got themselves into this position in part because 
maybe not that they even hired the wrong coach per se. I think looking at who was available, what was happening with that one, I think it's more of the process behind the why they hired the coach and going deeper into what that would look like and how the team was the entire way that they built their team, John, around this Bradford, McCoy, retread city idea, running the football, uh, just this used car parts. It was just a flop from the start and everyone could see it. People could know it. We felt this team had more talent to go six and 10 national media said this team's getting a top five pick. And we shouldn't have listened to them. We didn't. There's a couple things we can say. Now, there's plenty of dumb things that we can say, at least obviously on this pod. But that one might be probably the dumbest of all was the thought and thinking that just because you have a quarterback in Josh Rosen and you're not saddling him with a guy like Mike McCoy, you're going to see Mike McCoy maybe take off or you're going to be able to see him get maybe another like head coaching job. We've learned, I think, a lot from this past year, John. Unfortunately, none of it has really been good. No, and, you know, we speculated last January, February, that the coaching hires made by Wilkes were questionable at best, but we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because this is a guy who was putting together his first staff who had the respect of the GM. The GM had gone one for one in hiring coaches before, and the Cardinals, to me, had enough talent to be able to carry over and to work through some of those early growing pains. I thought this team would win maybe five games tops, Um, But I thought they'd be competitive. I thought that they would start Josh Rosen to begin the season. There'd be some growing pains. But at the end of the year, you were talking about a team that was on the rise that had potential uh, for a playoff berth in in 2019. Uh, Clearly, the opposite has happened, whereas they got off to a rocky start. And now the wheels have just fallen off completely. I mean, at least earlier in the season, they were competitive against playoff teams like Chicago Bears losing by two points at home losing to the Seattle Seahawks by three the following week, two very winnable games. Uh, and then you go and you beat San Francisco 28 to 18, you know, you're semi-competitive against the Vikings, um, losing 27 to 17, but then the, just the series of blowouts, you've been blown out this year in the opener by the Redskins, 24 to six week two against the Rams, 34 to zero, uh, that terrible, maybe the worst of them all that nationally televised Thursday night game against a bad Denver team, 45 to 10 mm-hmm. at San Diego, 45 to 10 now at Atlanta, 40 to 14. So the blowouts are coming. They're coming in bunches. It's again, like you're being blown out once every other week. Now, every other week, you just can assume this team's going to get blown out. I, I anticipate they will lose at least by double digits this weekend against the LA Rams and with Seattle losing, like you mentioned, Blake, they have a lot to play for now in week 17. My only concern was had San Francisco not beaten the Seattle Seahawks, we'd still be saying, okay, they're neck and neck down the finish line. Uh, I would think that the Cardinals might be able to beat Seattle in week 17. If Seattle rested their players, which they could have conceivably done. Now you almost get assurance that, Russell Wilson company are at least going to play a half, if not three quarters. That will be more than enough time to undo the Cardinals in this very, very meager offensive skilled group. Uh, this offensive line that is not preseason worthy. And then this defense that looks like it's given up on the, on its head coach right now. So, you know, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, like I mentioned, but at the same time, we have to get through these next two games. Hopefully, knock on wood, we don't have any player injuries. Um, I've gotten to the past the point where you know I'm cons- not concerned about them embarrassing themselves because they're already the embarrassment of the league. You mentioned that Kyle Shanahan is very Bruce Arians-esque in the way he gets the utmost effort from his teams every week, how he's able to game plan. The Niners lose 
almost as often as the Cardinals lose. They have 10 losses, but yeah. think about some of their losses. They almost, with C.J. Beathard, beat Aaron Rodgers. I, I believe that was – was that game in Lambeau Field? Yes, that was yep, in that Lambeau, was Field. Lambeau Field. 30, was 33 to 30. Absolutely. They, mm-hmm. They've been super competitive against the Giants, against the Buccaneers. Uh, earlier this season, they lost to the Chargers by two points. I mean, yep. this is a team that – I mean, you think about Nick Mullins right now. Nick Mullins, who's an undrafted rookie, who oh, second year no, player, I guess. Like, second year, I'm sorry. Yeah, first year, first year, year starting for that one. It's kind of like I, like the difference between a true freshman and a redshirt freshman. So he at least has some familiarity with the scheme, which is more than right. the other rookies can have. But he's got Kyle Shanahan as his play caller, and he's got at least enough talent that they reached out and found him. They Bethard looked like a capable starter for you know a couple of games for the Niners mm-hmm. after Brian Hoyer went. And they got like you said with Bethard, they almost beat the Packers and. John, it's just, it's the embarrassment I think that comes up at least of when you look at the team is when you're talking about, yes, this was a more talented Niners team than probably was deserving of the number one pick. They just had bad luck that kind of, and that's usually where I think what we've seen with the team is. And that doesn't, that that happens sometimes as well. I mean, other teams can be worse and still end up in the top three. Yeah. The Raiders, I feel like, are maybe in a spot that's worse. The Niners lost their starting quarterback, whereas the Cardinals and the Raiders have all their starters that are in. They haven't lost guys to, like, you know, major overall uh, injuries as far as your quarterback position or losing, like, a pass rusher or, like, if a Patrick Peterson were to go down, at least. You're not seeing those type. But you look at the Cardinals this year, and right now, like, I think we've even – talked a little bit about how the um, football outsiders, the rankings for how they're just barely behind as far as an offense with the Buffalo bills. And right now the Cardinals are ranked in the, in terms of, excuse me, in terms of offense, 32nd overall, 32nd in passing now, 32nd in rushing and running the football. They're averaging mm-hmm. like 80 yards a game rushing as a total right now. As passing, it's it, it's not much better overall. Their passing offense right now is only generating about 160 yards a game. So you're not even hitting, again, the 300 yards as a team on average. This is yep. a pathetic offense. And that's been what's toughest, I think, overall is this is, just hasn't been the right fit with Byron Leftwich. You've seen some nice design plays that have come up every once in a while. I don't think it's too much. You can, if you wanted to make arguments and say he couldn't do as much with Mike McCoy's scheme, then you can just point over and look at well, what's the scheme that Mayfield has been running under Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. Look at the adjustments that's been made. You're just seeing how the experience and lack thereof is just really shining through of the Cardinals about how you know, we talked about the phrase in over their head, but I think there's a, a deeper level to it where there's yep. just a lack of a football intelligence as far as whether it's the modern football, the modern game, whether it's figuring out the in-game coaching or adjustments. Like I, I think that third quarter we always talk about is showing the lack of adjustments, but I think that was the biggest concern overall when you see at the Cardinals is we didn't think that it was going to be this bad because we felt that if Steve Wilkes is going to go out and have a defense that was going to be you know, pretty well praised overall in Carolina, we would think that he would have enough semblance that you'd be able to kind of go back to where's your strength? What is going to be your identity as a team? And Mm -hmm. we thought at least this is going to be a team that would sell out to stop the run and be able to blitz guys to get generate pressure on the quarterback. And instead what we've seen overall is while the Cardinals have been able to get sacks, they've not been able to be any better at stopping the run than they were at week one during the NFL season. And that is a huge like question and concern of whether it's design, whether it's teams are adjusting to you mid game. And it's like, all right, we're running our same set at them. Teams are adjusting and you're not making those changes. It just makes you question what did they believe when they were hiring him? Would, as far as for the adjustments, like, did he just say, no, we don't adjust. We keep doing what we're doing. It feels almost like you've got 
a a guy who's sitting back there who's a chess whiz, you know, it was like this is where the NFL is. He's going up against a guy who's a bash and bomb, like our man beats their other guy, and that's how we're going to win in the NFL. And that is like the that's like one of the lower, like it, it's almost like a deceptive type of, you know, you'd like to be able to see that approach and say that, but it feels like it's. I don't want to say a caveman approach, but it's so much old school for where the NFL is now. Yeah, it's old school. That you, it's, I, it's really hard to defend at least a lot of the question. Where now we're having to question, like you know, some of the hirings, the first place, what happened, and what it seems like that they wanted was they wanted a guy who was going to be a leader first and foremost, who could lead men, who could be strong. And what we've seen, on the other hand, is a guy who you know he's thrown people, uh, you know, players under the bus as far as gaps after the first week. He's finally been able to kind of take on and saying like, you know, I need to get better as a coach. But um, I, I was I was curious for your thoughts on this, John. I wanted to touch on. The Wilkes interview this week where they asked him, you know, if you could do something differently or if you would go into 2018, what would be, you know, your approach? And this is a great question because even if Steve Wilkes isn't the head coach of the Cardinals, he's still applying for other jobs. He may even get head coach looks in the future. People look at Arizona, say it was a terrible situation and still like the guy. He basically just punted completely on the question. He's like, I don't want to think about that. And maybe some of that is to his credit. You know, he wants to focus on the now and focus on the next week. He doesn't want to get into speculation. But to me, it just it felt strange because it was almost a free way of him advertising more of, yeah, no, here's what I learned. I need to adjust my scheme to my players better. I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I have my game plans better. I want to make sure that I can own or be able to put more emphasis or ever. He could have just basically presented his entire argument for, here's what I am still doing. Here's why I'm good at Here's why that they hired me. Here's what I've learned. It's, it's showing that ability to learn from your mistakes. The fact that he punted on that question completely completely didn't even want to answer it that was like a huge huge concern to me at least for a lot of that where i just i I don't know if i have to question a lot of things that are going behind with this team the organization and that i know they're questioning those things too i I was curious john do you think that that's something that with wilkes is just more of who he is is he just looks at the now with belichick we're on to cincinnati or do you think that there's still some other type of fatal flaws that are you know potentially in the wilkes that we've seen as a head coach as well yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Honestly, I think he's a very proud individual. I think he has been like probably pretty scarred by this experience. This is probably the toughest coaching experience of his career so far. And I can't speak to, you know, his days prior to the NFL, but uh, you know, you go, you know, essentially one and done, which is what he's, you know, in route for it on Black Monday. And that that's a that's a pretty you know, private group of individuals, or it's a pretty, um, I don't want to say elite, but it's a, it's a group of individuals. Generally you get it, you get a second year and for whatever reason, um, you know, he's not going to have that in probably in his mind. And he probably blames it a little bit on personnel. He probably wishes he would have done different thing differently in the off season, but to speculate now, I think, I think it would almost kind of be conceding that the end is near. And I don't, I think he's too proud of an individual to do that. I think, you know, in his mind, he's going to go out and he's, they're going to try to win the game this weekend. And that's, that's how he thinks. Some would call that naive, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily blame him, blame him in the sense that, you know, if you get an interview with him after the season, I'm sure he could say, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z differently. But, mm-hmm. you know, right now, um, he, he knows he's a dead man walking and he knows that he's going, he's undermanned with these next two weeks. And, you know, we're well past the point of being able to make improvements. It's, it's what can I do to not get blown out? And so, you know, if I was him, I would be aggressive in these next two games. I'd leave everything on the table. I'm sure that's why he wants to play Josh Rosen, because I think he thinks, and most Cardinal fans thinks that Josh Rosen's the best quarterback on this roster, gives him the best chance to win. But fans and media want to see this team do well 
beyond 2018 because they're unlike Steve are going to be invested in this team. And so when you talk about the fact that you're going to be throwing Josh Rosen to the wolves with a nominee can sue and Aaron Donald and um, just an underman offensive line for the Arizona Cardinals, it's easy to see why Cardinal fans and again, the media are, are so against that approach, but in Steve's mind, it's just, no, it's just another game. You know, the playoffs are out the window. Obviously he just wants to try to, if possible, end the season with his head up and, and say, you know what, I did the best that I could and I can speculate all day after the season's over. But I'm, I'm sure right now, yeah, he's, he is very old school. He reminds me of a little bit of, I don't want to say, um, you know, Jim Tom Sula type, but just somebody who is, you know, it's almost like he is stuck in, you know, 1995 or 1997 or something when football was different, when you could, you could dominate with a great defense and a running game and you, you didn't have to be super progressive offensively and you didn't have to have, you know, like, like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, you didn't have to have almost photographic memories to be able to recite offensive, you know, play schemes in the second quarter, three weeks ago. I mean, you, 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 all you had to do was know your X's and O's and your Jimmy's and your Joe's, right? You just had to be able to scheme basic concepts. I I do think he is a, a bright guy and a bright defensive mind, but Mm -hmm. in today's NFL, we've talked about it at nauseum in 2018. You can't go into the season and have no zero, inside on offense when it's an offensive game and you just read the, the numbers they're his, they're worse than being 30 yeah 32nd in the league they're historically bad we we gave a stat last week that they're they're one of the top five worst offenses since i think the early 80s mm-hmm. and they're the worst since 2005 which leads you to believe that you know when the rules were different this team is is one of the worst offensive teams ever in the history of the nfl Mm-hmm. in 2018 with yep. David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and the 10th overall pick. That's just, it's unacceptable. And that is coaching. Steve Kime deserves a lot of blame for what's going on here. And he's probably going to lose his job. At least I think so, because he didn't do well enough with his first round picks. We can get, get at it, you know, in the in nauseam, but at the same time, the cub it's the, the Cardinals have more talent than the New York jets do more talent than the Buffalo bills mm-hmm. offensively. And for it's just on, a, and you know they're in a, you know, they're in a division with you know a couple average defenses in the Rams and the Niners and the, you know the the Seahawks aren't great on the road. I mean they haven't played Seattle at Seattle yet. They got to play the the NFC North, which is only going to have maybe one to two playoff teams. I mean it's just like it's not the Cardinals face some gauntlet of a schedule this year. Yeah, it was right. difficult, but there's no excuse losing to an Atlanta team that everybody scores 30 on and you can't muster up anything but seven points until the end they of the game. They weren't even competitive. That was the biggest yeah. thing. Like after that first touchdown, you were like, okay, this might be a competitive game, but you've always known the Cardinals team when they get socked in the mouth, they seem to just fall off. And to me, that tells a lot of that confidence is, yeah, that's a, that's a coaching issue. Themselves. Yeah. They don't have the confidence in themselves or in the coaches. And a lot of that is also because if you think about what happened with Bruce Arians, he would kick the team to go into the half. They'd come out. Even if they were down, you'd say, well, here's how we're going to get right back in. And so what happened was ended up earning trust over time for a lot of things i think of at least what we really never saw from steve Volk's ultimately is we never got to see that kind of repeated amounts of success it was always the team never has never won you know two games back to back so they're never mm-hmm. able to build on it usually after they would win a game they would fall off the very next week that was one of the biggest things i know that we noticed about uh, with the i believe with the packers game was after they like had a victory monday the huge cheer for that and then they just fell off scored three points against detroit 
very next week, you talk about like the Niners game for that one. That was the only game where we saw any type of stacking or being able to build on top of it was the game against after they had, you know, four good quarters, the only good four quarters they've had in a row. And it was the last quarter of the Niners game where they came from with two close touchdowns with some great play calling. And the first three quarters after the bye week with three weeks to prepare for the Chiefs. And then everything crumbled in the fourth quarter as usual, despite the fact that the team was in good position overall to be able to give a chance. And it seems like the team has just taken enough punches where now they're lying down. Like the, it's a boxer who's, you know, the boxer's not – I guess you can say at this point, the boxer's fallen down and fallen over at yeah. this point. But as soon as like you take like another punch, yeah, exactly. As soon as you take another punch, it's just, it, they're out. And that's the toughest thing because that does ultimately reflect on coaching. Because if you have confidence in your coaches, even if you have one down game, you're never going to bounce back the next week. We had a game. I know at least for the one of the team that I worked for had, I believe it was six sacks in the first half on their pro quarterback that it was like, you know, he's like one of the best quarterbacks in the arena league, if not the best, at least, which is what I, I would hope to, but they benched him had this other, the backup took in the second half, just because they realized, you know, we got to get this guy out of here. We have to be able to make sure we keep him safe. It's just one of those games that they had. They went into their bye week, they came back and they came out and just, you know, trounced the team the next week because they had enough faith in a game plan, at least that they were able to go in team lost three of their last four games down the road for the stretch ended up bouncing back and had the ability after they got through a first tough playoff game, just, you know, breeze their way through to the championship. And that I think is what was interesting was it shows that there's still a resilience of it's the NFL. Any given Sunday can happen. Any given Sunday, the Niners and Nick Mullins can go out and beat the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. What you need to see is you need to see that continual belief that you have not just in the coaches and the players and in each other, but otherwise you're going to see things like at the end of the sea, at the end of this Atlanta game where guys are getting, you know, torched left and right guys are missing tackles, trying to make a play. That's where I think that you have the biggest concern. What's tough about it is you got to see the Bruce Arians experience before that. You got to see how the team worked together, even despite the injuries. You know, they were able to beat the Rams with Drew Stanton leaving with an injury. Ryan Lindley throws, you know, gets him in a field goal range to win the game. Those are the type of things where it shows the tenacity. And I don't know how much of it's on the players and the guys they found. I think that there is some blame to be applied for in that sense, perhaps, of the young guys. There's, I mean, we had eight rookies at one point on the field, I think, on. On, uh, on Sunday. That's one of the craziest parts. But taking that next step into becoming a team that's being able to overcome those and be resilient, I feel like it's just an indictment, at least of not just the coaching staff, the players, or maybe it's kind of the players they found. But there's a lot of things that are at least wrong with this team, John. And I think the biggest question a lot of fans are going to have, at least overall, is, is this a thing that the Cardinals can bounce back from and be competitive next year? Or are we going to have to start seeing a two to three year kind of building? Thing? Is there going to be like a timeline that's going to be put up in place for the Arizona Cardinals? What, what are your thoughts on that in a fast paced force to first type of NFL? Or is this a case of the Cardinals are just at 32nd each, you know, that we haven't even talked about the fact that, you know, coaches have been one and done for the 29th and 30th ranked uh, offense and scoring. We're not even talking about 32nd overall in the league and a bottom five worst. John, are, is this a Cardinals team that is so depleted that they're going to have issues being able to be competitive next year, no matter kind of who comes in with the new coach on offense or on defense? No, I think they can be competitive next year. I think that, you know, when you look at this team, there is enough talent, I think, to be able to, in certain spots, to be able to keep games close. And I think, you know, talent's the most important thing, but a close second, and some might argue this is number one, is you got to have the right coach, right? And that's what the LA Rams found in Sean McVay. I'm not expecting anything like that in terms of a turnaround next year, 
um, and go into the playoffs and be one of the best offensive teams in the league. But that Rams team. Somebody got to go worst to first, John. Somebody got to right. worst to first, right? That, that 2016 Rams team, Blake, yes, they had an abundance of talent. <laughs> Excuse me. But at the same time, they look like a high school team that week 17 against the Cardinals. They look like the Cardinals do now. And Jeff Fisher had been fired. They had an interim coach. And Jared Goff looked like a complete and utter bust. I think that you were tweeting out today that folks saying the same thing about Goff that they're saying about Rosen now. I mean, the, the parallels are are there. Mm-hmm. The Rams had, did have more talent. And then they went out, had some shrewd moves in free agency, got a left tackle, got a center, hit on some of their draft picks. Clearly, the Cardinals don't have anybody on the same level as Aaron Donald, but they have Chandler Jones. They have Patrick Peterson, assuming they don't trade him. And they've got David Johnson, which is, I believe he's on the same level as Todd Gurley. Should he get anything that resembles an offensive line? And I think they've got better receivers right now than the Rams did at the time. So if you're asking me if they can be competitive, sure. I think they could be competitive next year. Like an average NFL team should be. There's so much parity right now within the league. I mean, you talk about Cleveland every week is competitive. Tampa Bay is a fun watch, even though, you know, they're probably going to lose their head coach and GM. They're both going to be fired. Like that's a competitive team every week. You know, we talk about Indianapolis is way ahead of schedule on their, on their rebuild. Somehow the Miami dolphins have six, seven wins this season. The Oakland Raiders, after looking like a disaster early on this season, have had some pretty competitive games. uh, The last couple of weeks, you know, the Chicago bears last season, below 500 essentially have gone now from worst to first. That's another team, Buffalo bills. I mean, like there are tons of teams in this league that you wouldn't consider good teams by any means, but they're competitive. They win a handful of games. I don't, I don't think that should be the bar for the Cardinals necessarily moving forward, but it kind of needs to go without saying like, whomever we bring in, like don't embarrass the franchise. The franchise (laughs) has been embarrassed. Like this is an embarrassment. The Cleveland Browns last year, when they went 0-16, they were in a lot of games. They, they themselves shot themselves in the foot, needless to say. Hugh Jackson it was just an egregious head coach. And it just shows you that, that that team turned around this year without Hugh Jackson. They might make the playoffs with around the same roster outside of Baker Mayfield. So with the Cardinals, I think that you hit, if you hit the, on the right coaching hire, that's a huge if. I mean, mm-hmm. But I do think anybody you're going to get, they're going to go with an offensive coach, is going to be able to elevate this team to at least an average offensive you know, output. You know, maybe at worst you're you're in the high 20s, something to that effect, um, because other teams are going to have regression. And I think obviously Rosen's going to have an uptick and you've got David Johnson. And then you add some key. You're going to have the first pick in the draft. We haven't even touched on that. You're going to have an influx of talent when you're looking at pick number one, assuming you don't trade down and get more picks. Pick number, you know, 33, 34, if you switch with Oakland in the second round. I mean, you're going to have a ton of quality picks that need to come in right away and start for you and play well, you're going to have an abundance of cap space. And if Steve Kimes around, you best believe he's going to spend that money to try to save his job. He's going to try to find quality players to plug into this team that fit the new coach's mantra. The Cardinals, I believe the, I believe this season, and this is not my homerism because I rip on this team just as much <laughs> as anybody because I, I want this team to demand excellence. I want these, these fans of this team. Yeah, we want sustained success for that. Right. All that I think fans have wanted because you've never seen that in Arizona. We even, yep. even when they had it for in Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer, you saw five years at least with 50 wins, but you knew that it wasn't sustainable once Arians and Palmer retired unless they had a plan. And we saw 
no head coach that was from the current roster that was promoted or apparently even considered worth promoting from the team itself. And there was no quarterback that they had developed yeah, or it taken. Was, it, was, it was their own fault. It was worst yep. case scenario. It was, it was quarterback head coach Armageddon and almost in quarterback purgatory. Thank God they, they found Rosen and they were able to trade up. But I do think that this season will be an anomaly for this franchise because I, I have belief still in Michael Bidwell. And I have belief that a, a quality coach and a quality GM will look at this situation and realize, hey, they've got potential. They've got a franchise quarterback. They just need some help on the offensive line. They clearly need an uptick at, uh, at head coach. Mm-hmm. They've got a ton of money to spend. I mean, and who doesn't love having the first overall pick, especially when you have the quarterback and the amount of leverage that you have? We saw what Frank Wright did and the, G- and, um, the GM of the Colts now, the name escapes me. He was able to Ballard. manipulate Chris Ballard. That's the Chris one. Ballard was able to manipulate the draft because he had Andrew Luck. Everybody said yeah. to themselves, "Well, the Colts going to take a quarterback? Is Andrew Luck healthy?" They backed Andrew Luck. They they took advantage of a desperate Jets team, got multiple second rounders, and they're a playoff team now. They they're one of the best teams in the AFC. Their roster a year ago didn't even compare to the Cardinals' roster outside of Andrew Luck. Yeah. You couldn't even name five players on that team that you would take over the five, you know, mediocre players on the card. That that was one of the worst ro- it was so bad that Chris Ballard was like, Andrew Luck, I don't I don't even want to subject you to this roster. So we're gonna just shut you down. Yeah. I do think Luck would have played last year had that roster, but it's, there's just no point. Yeah, and his so arm they, was they also tank in a really season. tough situation or all of that too, or ended up yeah. he's come back and he's been maybe not an MVP, but he's just been like a, a return to the Andrew Luck of old. And some of yep. that is also from looking at the game planning of Frank Reich. And that's something that's also interesting was Reich and Arians had a lot more in common. We thought some of it was the fact that Reich was a Cardinals coach for years and years under Ken Wisenhunt, very similar to Freddie Kitchens that we've seen a lot of experience goes to the Eagles, helps them game plan, get to a Super Bowl. He was the last coach that was hired. He was hired after technically Steve Wilkes, I, I believe because Reich had Josh McDaniels in front of him. McDaniels pulls out, goes back to uh, the Patriots for that. I'm probably either waiting for a job. Like, I don't know if he'll go after another job or if he's just going to hang around until Belichick retires, but Either way, it was just a spot where then they kind of went, were like, we have to go back to the drawing board from everything. All of the other good coaches at least are picked over. They pull out right. And they may have a coach of the year. At least he's the AFC coach of the year candidate right now, unless you want to you know, talk about at least what the Chiefs have done with Mahomes in a second year. But I would honestly say that Reich has done a fantastic job. And he looks like he's going to be a potential star coach in taking that roster. And you have guys that you've seen out of defense with having a solid draft. You look at Darius Leonard as a solid draft pick. You look at some of what they got with Quentin Nelson, being able to find a break. And Smith, they just had a consistent draft. And once you stack drafts, then you're able to just end up in a spot like the Rams of making trading play, position, picks for players, being able to move. And I think that's what we're looking at with the Cardinals. And one of the things I did want to read out, at least just a couple of tweets here. One of the tweets, at least, was um, Cardinals. Uh, let's see. It's uh, it's time to get Josh Rosen out. This isn't helping him. Cardinals may fire Steve Wilkes, but it's going to take years to recover from the damage that they've done with the bungles, the culture, and um, the trades. Uh, I, I really want to like him, but Josh Rosen's not good. Uh, being able to uh, go ahead and say, hey, add Nick Mullins to the list of quarterbacks already better than Josh Rosen. I'm serious when I say this, at least. Jimmy Clausen showed more flashes in his rookie season than, Jer- than, um, than Josh Rosen for that one. And then being able to see, um, you know, it's not a knock on Rosen. It's impossible to get a read in him playing behind these L-line with these wide receivers. 
all those tweets were actually about Jared Goff. You couldn't be able to tell it, but every single one of those tweets was all about Jared Goff before he went on a terror that had the Rams as a potential Super Bowl caliber team. And again, it just took the right coach. It took the right fit. And it ultimately it took fixing the offensive line. And we've seen Goff struggle, I think, the last two or three weeks because the line has really struggled to keep him upright. And I think that's really what it kind of comes down to, John. Um, let's switch a little bit. We've talked, I know, at least about Wilkes. We've seen the higher. It's the inevitability. The question I have, at least for here, is is Steve Keim also inevitable? I think I can feel like it's drifting much more toward that way. My hypothetical is what happens if they do say keep Steve Keim? Do you think that that's the move that the franchise, is that a smart move you should take? Is it in the middle or is that keeping him a bad move for the team ultimately moving forward? I'd like to hear some I, of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how you can fire Steve Wilkes and keep Keim because if the Cardinals are bad next year, Blake, you're not going to fire your, your head coach again after one season. Let's say the Cardinals the Browns, then you just be in. Yeah. So, so you're going to keep whomever Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell hire next off season, because hopefully you do your homework and you get somebody who's bought in an offensive guy like Kyle Shanahan right now can go five and 11 next year too. They're not going to fire him. He has all the leverage there. He and, and the GM are close. They, they courted Kyle Shanahan. The Cardinals need to court a head coach. Steve Kime needs to court a head coach. My only question is, Blake, is that if the Cardinals are bad next year and you and the players aren't playing well, the young guys aren't developing, you can't fire Steve Kime then because you're not firing the head coach. So you're going to fire your GM, but you're going to keep your head coach in place. That's why it just I think it makes more sense to just start fresh. Now, do I think they will? I, I, I have a, I'm probably 60-40 they're going to clean house. But it would not surprise me. Michael Bidwell... And Steve Kime are very close. He's been a good soldier for this franchise. He's done. A, you can say the problem with with tw- with Cardinal Twitter is that sometimes they just they aren't willing to admit that Steve Kime. You can say that he needs to be replaced, but he was a success as a GM, and he and he did a lot of great things for this franchise. But it's just time to move on. Yeah, you can swing on one side or the other very much. I think that's the part of – you can basically say that the, the mess-ups and the problems that Steve Kime has had recently in the last couple of years doesn't change the fact that the, the man is the most successful general manager that the franchise has arguably ever had. Mm-hmm. That he rebuilt the team at least from scratch at a similar time where they were going through – In one offseason. One offseason. One offseason. They had a 10-6 and six team at least for that one. Now, some of that was the record, the schedule. They made a fantastic coaching hire at least when they were the last team to hire because all the guys there pursuing got snatched up they ended up making a better hire than most any of them and it also you take a look at some of the fact of some of the things we talk about as building blocks are there in place and that does include josh rosen we're not talking about this being a cardinals team that is hoping that they just took sam bradford and mike glennon and you know stayed pat for that when he was at least aggressive moved up even got a good deal a better deal than any of the other coaches so all of that is stuff that's in his favor and so that's part of where i'm like i'm not as opposed if they do want to keep him but yeah. ultimately i agree with you on all of those points of if you're talking about keeping him at least for another season and things go bad you're already talking about him coming off again of keeping his job after the DUI you're talking about having to revamp the entire scouting house and scouting process because they're still struggling with the same problems of offensive line wide receiver cornerback uh, even at this point at least whether it's fitting linebackers to schemes or fitting the schemes to the linebackers there's been issues at least that you've seen for the most part where it feels like this is kind of about the right time to move on because yep. you do end up keeping Steve Kime. And this is what I've at least noted, at least from some of the stats. If you keep Steve Kime, 
it is possible to have that long-term success overall. If you keep the general manager, you fire the head coach and bring in the right coach, then it ends up working out. Usually uh, a lot of the coaches I looked at from going back into the last few years, 12 of the, uh, from 20, uh, the end of 2011 season to the current season, at least for right now, you've had 12 people who've kind of kept their jobs in the same position with the same team. 10 of those are general managers. Now a couple of those are like Jerry Jones, John Elway, but most of the time when you do get a top five pick, which the Cardinals at this point are basically guaranteed to have, even if they win out the last two games, the only way that they'll succeed and keep Steve kind is by firing, you know, the coach bringing in a new coach. And then usually what happens most of the time though, is they'll still clean house overall because the reason why they got into that spot was poor talent, poor evaluation of the coach themselves. And what's interesting even is if you look at the number one pick, it gets even worse as far as cleaning house. Uh, you look at the 2011 postseason to that one, top two picks, cleaned house. Chiefs in 2012, cleaned house. 2013, at least for that one, they uh, cleaned out the head coach for that one. Rick Smith ended up getting fired a couple of years later, but they had cleaned house, I think, with their GM just a few years previously to that. Uh, you look at in 2014, Jason Light had just been hired as a brand new first-time GM, but they fired their head coach with the top overall pick. Um, you look at the Titans eventually ended up firing their guys. Uh, 2016, Hugh Jackson eventually got fired this year, but Sashi left in 20 uh, and then last year. You look at the Browns, at least with Hugh Jackson, they brought in Dorsey, at least overall, he's still with the team. But for the most part, if you're a team that ends up getting the number one overall pick, unless you were just hired as a GM, like previously that <laughs> year before where they went, all right, we need to get more talent in here. And then they fired the head coach, unless that's the case. Mm-hmm. Usually the GM always goes and they clean house because if they are bad enough to get the number one pick, if they can't see so your job is on the line, you have to win and they can't perform under the pressure usually they end up going and that's the biggest thing i think as far as for the cardinals is it might almost become a concern if they decide to keep steve kind because a lot of the choices kind made is why you got into it and i think it would be very difficult for a lot of the fans because if you bring back steve kind next year you're also expecting because he's a veteran general manager you're expecting maybe a quicker bigger turnaround to say you know what you need to fix go out and fix it this team needs to be you know nine and seven by next year and i think that is a really tough standard to be able to hold them to i think you need to give a little bit more leverage to a new coach be able to take a little bit of that pressure off and just make sure that the focus is on josh rosen yeah i i, I agree blake and i'll some examples i could see where gms have kept their job uh, throughout multiple head coaches when you've had turnover but you've initially had success i think one of the most common comparisons with steve kyman is thomas dimitrov mm-hmm. uh gm of the atlanta falcons had that nice run with head coach Mike Smith, went to multiple divisional rounds, lost in the um, divisional round of the, to the, or excuse me, the NFC Championship game to the 49ers. That was their peak, uh, the Kaepernick yep. year. And then in 2013, you started to see a downpour in talent because he started missing you know, an abundance of draft picks. It's hard. Ask Steve Kime. It's hard to pick at the end of the first round. Yep. And they NFL went 4-12. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They went 4-12, and 6-10, and 8-8, eight and eight, and then they fired Mike Smith. Now, they didn't they didn't ever have the the, t- the top pick in the draft, but um, they were still mediocre to bad. And they fired Mike Smith, but they allowed Thomas Dimitrov because he had history of winning for that franchise and putting together talent. And he was the guy who who net, netted them Matt Ryan to, to keep their job. And, and he's responded. Now this year they're having a down year, but first year he hired Dan Quinn. They went to the Super Bowl, should have won it last year, made the playoffs again. You know, you could almost compare time to to you know potentially less need less need hadn't done anything mm-hmm. in this league 
had a bunch he of misses. On Austin, some he had yep. some huge swings. Alec Ogletree in the first yeah. round. You a look at all, all of those picks from that trade down of the. And we'll talk obviously about trade downs. Yep. That's what we can have a whole off season. To the talk. Robert Griffin the third trade down. But yeah, the trade down. You look at what they had at least with the the picks that they had the next year. They're like, oh man, they've got two top ten picks. One of those picks was Greg Robinson, the tackle who was a huge bust. Second pick though was Aaron Donald, but they had also taken Tavon Austin with previous picks. They had most mm-hmm. of the players. traded up for Tavon. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So you, yeah. Less need. Less need. Steve Kime probably have more in common uh, than than Steve would like to admit because Les really was saved by Sean McVay. I mean, yeah. Sean McVay saved Les Need because everybody had just assumed Jared Goff was a was a bust. Carson Wentz should have been the top pick. I mean, how bad did that look? I I, only, I, I thought that they would have moved on from Les Need in that offseason, uh, Goff's rookie year in 2016, but they didn't. And it's it's very similar to this situation, Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime, mm-hmm. but. But what was the difference? Les Snead had a relationship with the owner, Sean, um, or Shan, I can't pronounce his last name, um, the, the owner of the LA Rams. He had a relationship, and he got one more season to, to really get it right, and it worked out. And now he's you know GM of the year last year. He got Robert Woods for that team. He nailed the draft. He got their left tackle, um, you know, and Andrew Whitworth. And then he got Sean McVay. I mean, like Steve, Steve Keim. I know fans, it's popular to, to, to dog on him now, but I, I generally, I like to give him the benefit, benefit of the doubt in most instances. I, the, the, the Mahomes-Watson thing is unforgivable. You can never, can never forgive Kime for that. But the Jonathan Cooper pick, a lot of Cardinal fans thought that was justified. That was a weak draft. We all loved Dale Buchanan those first mm-hmm. couple of years, especially when you got that extra pick to get John Brown. I, I like the DJ Humphreys in, again, he's picking late in the first round. The Cardinals needed depth on the offensive line. The next year, they get Kim Dichie. Late, they were the. I think they were picking like 28th, 29th. Kim Dichie, yeah. that's the kind of player that you take at that position. So, well, and that's what's tough about that pick also is because uh, one of the things I know we talked about was it matters is about not so much as sometimes in the players that you uh, hit on, sometimes the players that you miss on can be a big, big miss. Cause it's usually it's like, okay, you don't look at what other teams draft. You want to look at you had, but you look at this year, Robert Kimdichi, the Cardinals are going into this draft and there's a great argument that maybe, you know, you could end up having to take a look at defensive tackle as being a huge need. If you feel like Marcus Golden returns to form next year, the reason why that's a huge deal is because you decided to say, and you're not going to take Chris Jones who has 14 sacks this year as a defensive tackle for the yeah. team. Instead, they took Robert Kimdichie, and it was just a huge miss, at least overall, from the team. I think that's been the biggest thing we've seen with Steve Kime is he seems to have this idea of value. And a lot of this, I think, I don't know if you'll, you may disagree with this, John, but it seems when you look at with Kime, with the Kime time signs, you look at the sixth rounder for Carson Palmer. You talk about taking DJ Humphreys late in the first round. Kimdichie, maybe it talked about as a top five or top ten talent. You talk about with some of the players about Josh Rosen, a third and a fifth. It seems like a lot of what Steve Kime is good at is that he can assess that you need to have guys kind of at a discount to be able to make a football team run with you know the one-year deal for Dwight Freeney, Carlos Stansman, a one-year deal. Some of that I think is definitely fine, but when that's the only thing that you and the only strength when it comes time to be able to say, we need to solidify a pair offensive line. They got lucky with the Raiders deciding not to franchise tag Jared Valdir. He ends mm-hmm. up being freed up. Otherwise, they'd have gotten outbid by the Dolphins, and then you're talking about 2014 being a very different season with Bradley Sowell at left tackle overall with Valdir. So some of that at least is that he went out he paid Mike Yapati. He's kind of paid a couple guys, but Yapati was coming off of an injury and he still got a great market deal, but maybe some of the injury concerns and guarantees. I love that. Cardinal fans did too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, I liked it. It was a surprise to me too. It was, that was, it why was, I didn't expect him to it was the kind of signing they didn't, 
could never make before. Right. It was the kind of signing that re, you know reinvigorated this fan base. And, you know, I thought it was a, a home run. And it was that first year he made a Pro Bowl. I mean, he was great that first year. His body broke down. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the deal doesn't look great. But I think the bigger mistake, Blake, is not cutting the cord this season and, and walking away from it, like you mentioned, and not keeping Jared Vildier, somebody who's right. at least capable of tackle. You mentioned Bradley Solwell. He he found a coach to get Bobby Massey to play at a, at a I would say, a league average level, which is mm-hmm. more than a lot of teams can say. And he's been a consistent starter for the Chicago Bears now. So that pick in the fourth round looked like a good pick then. So, I mean, it just mm-hmm. it goes to show you, and I know Kime didn't pick Bobby Massey, but at the same time he found a coach to elevate him. You know, I, I just think that, at the end of the day, you can make an argument on both sides. You can, you can have it fit your narrative. Clearly, it's what have you done for me lately? He has not done a lot outside of, I think, nailing the, the first two picks of this last year's draft. Um, the DUI does not help his cause in the least. I think if, if that didn't happen, I think he'd be a lock to come back. Yeah, and I, know I think that's, that's the toughest thing. And it's, it's tough to say because, you know, it's been the worst Arizona Cardinal season ever. And this is kind of the culmination of two years in which Bruce Arians pushed the team to get to overachieving. Like they were a bad team that had a huge, awful start. And then they kind of reassessed and went back to the team they should have been in 2016. Still did not have the right wide receiver talent that was there. But then when things were not addressed going into 2017, it was just kind of like, well, this is just feels like it was the same type of team again and then you saw palmer went down david johnson got hurt and then they still were able to kind of push the team and prod it to get to eight and eight with the fact that it was probably one of the best coaching jobs bruce arians did was to be able to change around his entire offensive identity no doubt to fit blaine gabbert and to go two and two with blaine gabbert yeah this this team lost a lot of talent over the last two off seasons and it just wasn't replenished. Yeah. You let Tony Jefferson walk. You let Calais Campbell walk. You say what you want. Gresham. Those, you I, thought, I hate Gresham. Gresham for that one. It was just the value that you had on Gresham was just something that was probably misattributed where you could have signed a couple of other veterans for the impact. And he's been a guy who's like a dog, like, you know, Rosen has been very close to them because he's kind of an alpha guy in the locker room. And I think that's very fine to be able to have, but the way that they kind of went into that was they did a couple one-year deals and it was almost like a handshake deal of, Hey, when we get enough money, we'll pay you. And I think it may have been maybe some of that making up for the couple of years previously of, Hey, you know, we're going to give you a better deal because we're giving you back on a second one-year deal. I think that may have been the solution, especially after Gresham turned down guaranteed money from the dolphins came back to Arizona. I think that may have been kind of like the handshake wink, wink type of. No, it, yeah, absolutely. And those are the kind of people that went over Steve Kime, like Steve Wilkes, mm-hmm. kind of same kind of person, but you know, you let the, you let Tony Jefferson go, you let Tyron Matthew go, you cut him, say what you want about Tyron. He's having a nice season in Houston. He was a, one of your best players early on. Yeah, they wanted uh, to renegotiate him, but it was the contract in the first place was, I think, I don't blame them for that one. It was just, may have been best to have a different start. But he was a talented player at a yeah, position. With a team player. leader was a big now, thing too. Big, you need a corner slash safety. Buda Baker's been hurt this year. You can never have too many players in the secondary. Somebody like Alex Okafor found his footing with a different team. He's a quality player now on New Orleans Saints defensive line. He's an edge rusher that you could have used. I mean, they've let a lot of talent leave their building. That to Steve Kimes' credit, he, he found, he drafted, he developed and with Bruce Arians, but for whatever reason, made the poor decisions not to extend the right kind of players. John Brown is another instance. John Brown's going to be a starting right receiver on a playoff team this year with a quarterback, by the way, Lamar Jackson, yeah. who you opted not to, not to draft. And so you, you think about a lot of these former contributors to the Cardinals' success from 2013 to 2016 
are having success elsewhere. And that has to be attributed to Kime as well. Michael Bidwell watches these games and sees players doing well that, that were originally Cardinal players. And so the Calais Campbell thing, I get he has not been productive this year, but Tony Jefferson should have never been able to leave this, leave this franchise. Mm-hmm. Tyron Matthew, they should have been able to figure that out. Um, I, I think Alex Okafor, to me, uh, I think you could have traded him and gotten some value. You can't just let pass rushers with his ability walk out the door, but for whatever reason, he fell in favor with the franchise, injured his yeah, leg before he, the was, it was a hard thing to trust. It was a hard thing to trust him for some of them. I think that the injury for that, and that was another thing we could talk about is uh, we can look very positively on Bruce Arians, but you still would have guys who would get into his doghouse that would have a hard yeah. time getting out. We even talked about it with Kim Dietschy overall about Kim Dietschy this year. The problem with Kim Dietschy wasn't even so much his play. There were still inconsistencies, but man, we're still second in tackles for a loss and second on the team in sacks before he left. He was ended up being kind of in the wrong scheme fit and part of it was also was he just wasn't really trusted or dependent on once he was put in that spot he was able to kind of be able to show some of that explosion just was not able to show that consistency and part of that's probably why the team will be moving on at least from him overall and there's other issues at least that I think you could talk about with it but ultimately what I think that we kind of need to wrap up on is we've done a lot at least as far as for just basically kind of bashing this team especially with the whole process like I even talked about today of like I was still just shocked like they went out and actually Mike McCoy got fired mid-season they went out and said no we're not looking at you know with Filippo. we're not looking at uh, Daryl Bevel, at least who just been let go from the Seahawks, not looking at the other guys in the market. We're going to go out and bring in Mike McCoy, and we're going to run the football with an OC who's never been yeah. successful at running the football. That was just what stunned me today was kind of thinking back on that was like, you know, there were so many different warning signs, at least, that that, that was one thing that they thought was a good idea. And that's ultimately, in a lot of cases, like, it ruined the whole start for the season. It ruined, like, you know, the first kind of debut, at least, for Rosen. And there was all these things. Well, and and, and Wilk had to sell the staff to, to Kime in his interview. He had to tell Steve these are the guys I want to bring on because you knew he was in touch with, with these guys stay connected. Wilkes and McCoy were having conversations. Yeah. Guys, yeah. yeah. Guys, so, so, so Kime, uh, you know, he doesn't put together the coaching staff, but he knew this is the direction he wanted to take the team. So again, I can, I can see the argument there. Not only did you allow Steve Wilkes to come in here and, you know, be over his head as a first time head coach, but you allowed him, you okayed Mike McCoy as the offensive coordinator indirectly. And that's, that's, that's unacceptable in 2018, especially when you don't have Josh Rosen in the fold, like thinking that you were okay to go into the season with Bradford McCoy, Steve Wilkes, and, and a, probably a developmental quarterback, um, you know, in the second or third uh, round, like imagine, a Mason Rudolph. Imagine if we had Kyle Loletta was basically taking the steps and everything now. Ooh, okay. That, 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 yeah. that's, I mean, this team probably wouldn't have a win. This team would probably be, be winless and be looked at as one of the worst, if not the worst team in NFL history. Like Rosen. It'd be really helped, bad. Yeah. Cause they weren't, they weren't able to cross the 50 yard line against no. defense. No. So, I mean, it, line. <laughs> it, it is, it is. It is you. You lay this out. I just I, I'm at the point I I can't see Steve Kime returning. I know I said sixty forty, but the, you know the more we discuss it, and the more you lay out everything. It's just like what's the what's the point? He he's done a lot for you, but you can't live in 2013, 2014. That's that's four or five years ago. You have, the, the NFL is a what have you done for me lately league, and you have to be able to set an, an example for your franchise that. You can't get a DUI, an extreme DUI, go to jail for three days, then come out and have the worst team in the league and get the first pick overall and keep your job. I don't know what industry you'd be able to do that in. We're just, you have a terrible off season, or excuse me, you have a terrible outside of work occurrence. You go back to your employer, 
they give you a second chance and then you perform the worst you've ever performed in your, in your current position. And I know not everybody's positions are comparable. It's like, you know, apples and oranges, but at the same time, like what other industry could you do that? That you have this terrible instance that a lot of people thought you should have been fired for. Then you come out and your team is just awful. You're, you're just, your performance is terrible and you have no hope for the future. You can't keep your job after that. Can you? No, no, that, that's what's difficult. I think with Kime from a lot of the areas, like I think we can still at least say that he's still a good GM because he's still finding talent. But when we're talking about being able to find the cornerstone pieces, I think that's kind of what's been, what we talked about this year, John, was our whole conversation going was, is Steve Kime a bad GM who's gotten lucky or a good GM who's gotten unlucky? We decided and determined after he made the move up for Josh Rosen that he wasn't an idiot and that he was able to do that at a good enough spot where we're like, yeah, he's probably a good GM. I think what's separating him from being a great GM is the fact that he's still only been able to find some of the different cornerstone pieces. And some of them, it's like being able to go out and identify that David Johnson over on Amir Abdullah would have been a good example of some of that. And the fact that they've been trying and trying to kind of address the same positions tells me that either there's issues within the department as far as the scouting or it's issues with what he's looking for versus what needs to be kind of found and needs to be there as a position just isn't quite matching up. And I even say that even knowing and seeing what he did with Christian Kirk this year overall. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is there's so many national people who are looking at just saying that a lot of the stuff and a lot of the area does fall on Steve Wilkes, I think with Steve Kime, I'm still not totally sure that it's going to be a complete house clean. I think it would lean that way, especially if you end up looking at the last two games that the Cardinals lose, because it's not just, you know, again, it's not just about the fact that you're losing games because you can be competitive. It's the repeated losses and not showing any of the different progress. And especially, I think, with Kime, being able to show the lack of structure and strength in the offensive line where you had to pull Josh Rosen out of that game because you're not having enough depth. Even when you're trying to scramble, you're not able to put him in a position to be able to make it through the game without having to pull him. That, to me, is the biggest concern. And I think that's the biggest thing that we have to be able to look at for this, uh, for this coming Cardinal season. Uh, for the remainder of this season, I should say. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of close out for this session, at least today, with just kind of posing the question. People have asked, and this is kind of the debate I know that we're going to get into here, is should Josh Rosen sit the rest of the year? I know some Cardinals fans would prefer that they would either punt on first down or, you know, put out Mike Glenn and Charles kind of treat it like preseason, just, you know, tank, tank, for, <laughs> tank for the number one pick. Don't worry about it for that one, at least with there. But is that something that's doing a disservice to Rosen, or is it an area where it's trying to protect him? That's, there's arguments both ways john what are your thoughts on that yeah i hate this question because i i i want rosen to succeed and so that probably plays a, uh, a part in my answer i think they should sit him i think it's a complete liability to play him against two teams with ferocious front fours uh you just got lit up by an atlanta defense that's pretty marginable especially getting after the quarterback you gave up six sacks and probably should have been more and you're going to go up against Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue and then the pass rush of um, in Seattle at Seattle in week 17, when they have something to play for. Uh, I just think it's not worth the risk. Think about how many quarterbacks have been injured by the Rams. How many players have been injured by the Rams in the, in years prior, how physical the Rams are going to be after, after that really kind of crushing loss against Philadelphia last week. You don't think they're going to be licking their chops to get their mojo back and you're going to go up against it with a with a lackluster receiving core and David Johnson, who has no room to run, and an offensive line that's just a shiv of a na- below average offensive line with no quality players up front. Um, 
you're going to put this young man behind him with, with no, it'd be one thing if you had Kyle Shanahan and then no talent and you could scheme your way to keep in the game safe, not even competitive, but safe. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that they can keep this game safe for Josh Rosen. I think it's, it's a scary proposition. And I think your, your best bet is put Mike Glennon out there. Let him take his, his lumps. He hadn't played all year. He'll be fine. He's been in this league. He's, he's marginal. He's a marginal player, but at the same time, you know what? He's probably just going to throw the ball away on third down. I'm fearful that Rosen's going to try to make too many plays, too many hero plays because he's an ultimate competitor. You, you just, I would try to run David Johnson 35 times with Mike Glenn in these next two weeks, 35 times a game. You get blown out. What's the difference? You've been blown out you know, several times this year. There's no difference. It doesn't mean anything. What, what does mean something is if you put out your franchise quarterback and you get him seriously injured before, I mean, think about going back to that Denver game I mentioned earlier. He, he, he just avoided serious injury at the end of the game, was limping after the game, and he got literally beat up for four quarters against the Denver de- team. I don't think that's comparable to, the, to these next two defenses the Cardinals are going to see. So they were, I, they're still at Von Miller. And I think that was yeah. thing was because they avoided that in this game where they pulled Rosen at least. Now I still think they left him in for maybe like one or two series too long. It was like after that six sack, like, yep, it's time. Mike Lennon came in. It was at least an area where they learned from the previous mistakes. Mm-hmm. So that was at least the one step that for at least is that we have finally seen them at least recognize and pull Josh Rosen out of a game at least. Yeah. I, I just think that that just the, What's the benefit of letting him play? He's played a lot this year. You got him live reps. It has not gone well because of the talent around him, but he's played. He's played in eight plus games. He's seen a lot of different looks. He knows what NFL speed looks like. There's no reason to continue playing him against this, this kind of level of, of ineptitude offensively. You cannot, you cannot expose him to this. I would not play him. If I was Michael Bidwell, I would intervene. I would say, we're not playing Josh this week. There's no point. I'm not going to subject him to this. Do what you got to do. Spin it how you spin it. Make up an injury that's going to shut him down for the rest of the season and just say it's not going to you know, hamper his offseason, but just get him out. And I, I think you need three quarterbacks active Sunday if you do play him because you got to be ready to pull him quickly. Because if he tears, God forbid, if he tears something, Blake, you're going to have the biggest uproar you've ever seen from this fan base because there's zero, zero incentive to play him. This team will be a bigger joke. That's the only way they can turn into a bigger joke. Listen, they're not going to go on 16. They've got three wins. Nobody cares what happens in these last two games. Larry Fitzgerald's last game. I mean, it is what it is at this point. It's, you know, he's going to put up, you know, I I don't even want to say he was going to put up numbers. I mean, he's, he's going to be active. He's going to play hard like he does every week. He's not going to play any harder or any less harder with Mike Glennon than he does with Josh Rosen. I mean, like if you want to make that the story, then make that the story and kind of underline it with the fact that you're going to shut Rosen down. But to me, I just, there's just no point in it. And it scares me to death because unlike Josh Allen, who's a, a freak physically six, seven can move. can, can take a little bit of a beating with Buffalo's offensive line being below average. Like he's built for that. Lamar Jackson can, I think is eventually going to get hurt. I don't root for that, but I, I just think he's taking too many shots. He's built to run around right now. Um, Sam Donald's bigger and thicker and is more mobile. He's built for that right now. You know, Baker Mayfield's got a, a very good offensive line, underrated offensive line. Rosen is in the worst position because he's not super mobile. He's mobile, but he's not as mobile. He's not a runner like these other players. He's not a freak physically. And he's got the worst offensive line of the group. And he's got the worst coaching staff of the group. So that, these, these situations are comparable. And 
Uh, I think the smart move is, is to sit him, and then in two weeks, you, you gear up for, the, for, for next year. There's no yeah, I think that's kind of what's interesting because I, I can definitely see the side of it. I actually am going to kind of come from the opposite angle because I actually think that I would be continuing to play him, but I would have a really strong hook. I think that the biggest thing about if you decide to bench Rosen for the rest of the year, the advantage of that is you now at least know that you're not going to have to have any type of either warrior extra hits going into next year. It's kind of like if you decide to say, we're not going to take the ship out of the harbor to go back into the storm. It's been bad enough already. I think that there's definitely a huge argument for that. And if Rosen does get hurt, then maybe you'll say, you know what? I wish they'd sat him. But he could have gotten hurt in any of those six sacks, I think, against the Atlanta Falcons. And I think that there is a benefit, at least to him being able to play, is whether it's playing the Seahawks and Rams team, that he's going to be playing multiple years. It's our understanding that some of it is just the hits that he's taking the NFL. He is still at least learning from them. It seems like it's going to be painful. But remembering behind the scenes, the things that we're hearing about, whether it's from Leftwich or from other people, is that there's still advancements and still progress that Josh Rosen is making and is learning. And even though it doesn't seem like it's like, well, what are you going to learn from these reps? It's still being able to be in the live game of being able to recognize, to say, hey, here's an area where we're able to succeed. Here's an area we weren't. And I think ultimately it's also a spot of that Josh is kind of embracing his job and his role as the leader de facto of this team. A lot of the players I know when they talked about Jared Goff taking those hits in that 2016 season, it did earn them a lot of respect. I think Josh has already earned plenty of respect. If they did decide to sit him, it wouldn't be a detractor. I think that the biggest thing you have to do with the Cardinals, at least for the most part, is try to be able to find a way. How can we at least be able to make this a positive of not just realizing that it's not just Sundays. Rosen's having to go through the act of game planning, getting the reps with the ones, being able to see and watch them on film, being able to game plan, go into a game, understanding tendencies, being able to see where receivers are, be able to make the attacks for that one, being able to make the throws, realizing, hey, I was late on this throw, at least in this plot or on the pick six need to add more arc over it. I think that there's enough at least that we're seeing from learning that if he is going to stay on the bench and the things he can learn on the bench, sure, but I don't think it's going to be as much as if it is in that game action. I think that the biggest question you have to look at at least ultimately is the risk is I think it's on the Cardinals to not put him into a spot where he is going to end up having that risk. There's always going to be freak injuries that could happen. There could be one that happens, you know, week one of the 2019 season could have a freak injury that could happen or any type of a broken hand. I think I would at least leave Arizona to design. They've done a good job the last few weeks of whenever Rosen's either been under pressure or sack, he hasn't put himself into danger willingly. It's been obviously the poor offensive line that's been getting him sacked. I think I would just look at a, designing a lot more of the game plan. If we're going to make sure that we keep him healthy, number one, we'll get him the reps. And if you start to see the game turn, just know that he's got a quick hook to pull him in. And there is a part of me, honestly, that would agree with, if you want to know if Mike Glennon's the guy for the future, I would not mind if they said, hey, here's what we're going to play plan for the Rams. If the Rams game is not close, we're not competitive, we're not looking good out there for that one, we're going to give Mike Glennon the start in the second half. Like, even if it's, you know, hey, you're down by 13 points for that one, maybe there's still a chance, but it doesn't feel like the game is close put Mike Glennon in the second half, give him the second half, treat it kind of maybe like the preseason, keep running your offense. Don't put him into those different uh, situations. I think he is going to benefit from it because you're going to have to play this Seahawks team again. You have to play this Rams team again next year. And I think it's ultimately if now that you've already put him into the game, I just think that you can't really coach. uh, I think you can't really coach or play scared in that sense. Sure. He's taking a lot of hits for that one. He's not taking them at a David Carr or at a damage level. I think you are starting to see some of the happy feet that start to come and you're starting to see some of the throws that are there that would be kind of the case where i would definitely look at pulling the triggers if it comes out again you see that same type of thing happen even at the end of the season jared goff with that he was in the last game of the year at the six sacks that everything looked awful so i think i would agree at least john with 
the fact that you have to be able to recognize this is your future. I think I would continue to put him in as a starter, but if he struggles, I would have at least a quick hook. I still think that there's a lot that can be learned from. And I think a lot of it is also recognizing that, you know, he's really earning a lot of these reps. He's earning his stripes with a lot of the team. He's having to understand adversity. I think if you pull him out and say, all right, we've hit a wall as far as adversity goes, instead of basically continue to say, hey, we're going to keep putting out against that adversity. Now, you don't want to be stupid like they were at the end of the Broncos game. But I do think that you don't want to basically have to say, here's how we're going to deal with adversity. We're going to sit you down because I don't want this team to come out next year in week two two of 2018 be like oh gosh rosen took six sacks in week one the offensive line still isn't fixed do we need to shut him down for a second year that's not the way that i think that i would coach i think that i would at least say this is adversity we know where it is for that one with the team they're going to have the orders i think from on high from michael bidwell if they need to obviously like you said to make sure he doesn't get hurt i think that that hook will be present and i think ultimately i still trust enough byron left which too much i think listening a few weeks earlier to that i think it was the end of the first half, at least, up against the Detroit Lions. Steve Wilkes wanted to go for it in that situation at the end of the half. Byron Leftwich himself was one saying, hey, I think we've got protection issues up front. I don't want to put my quarterback out in a position where he's going to end up getting hurt potentially by this Detroit Lions team. They end up running the ball on second down, go into the halftime. The fact that it's Byron Leftwich who's the guy who's actually calling plays, at least, uh, uh, Steve Wilkes has to overrule him. I have at least enough faith in Byron Leftwich for the most part that they can protect him enough where he's still going to probably take a couple of sacks, but at least that they can now know hey now that we've sat him once we've already broken that seal we can pull him out if we need to again it's not going to have to worry as much about each of those and even if they have to go into week 17 and say we're going to start mike glennon just because we took another six sacks against the rams i don't think i have a problem with that but i think i would at least go for giving rosen as much reps or much experience as possible do you have any disagreements at least that you would have with that john because i know this is something that we were a little bit sharp on for that one i was like oh this is great it'll make for some great discussion on the podcast well i i you know, if you're going to play them, conservative approach, I mean, you cannot be, you know, I said aggressive earlier. And I, by aggressive, I mean, if he wants to try a fake punt, if he wants to go for it on fourth mm-hmm. down. Yep. Put, yourself, put your quarterback in position to succeed. Right. Where you not, can get yourself and, and, you know, first and 10, first even and manageable, not putting yeah, it in like, hey, it's third and 33rd. Right. And we're throwing the ball here because we're down by 12 points and got to get a first down here. That, that, that's the case of where you're like, no, like, I don't think Cardinals fans will boo for sure, but don't worry about that. Run that screen pass if you need to on third and 23 and that spot and even get some other the younger guys in. They already, I believe, are promoting some other guys in the practice squad even as early as today. You're going to probably not have Joe Barksdale in at right tackle unless he gets through this concussion protocol. I, I think that I totally agree with you. You're going to have to be very, very smart and wise with the choices you make there. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him throw over 20, 25 attempts. I would be... He I, he's on a pitch count, in my opinion. If you if you're if you're in a position where you're down double digits, uh, I w- I would treat every drive like it's the same. I wouldn't have a ton of sense of urgency drive by drive. But if you want to be aggressive within those individual drives, if that makes sense, I'm fine with that. But putting this young man in shotgun with minimal protection, you don't have tight ends who can block, so you're going to probably go three or four wide if you're down by double digits, and you're going to let the Rams pin their ears back. And you're going to let Aaron Donald collapse the pocket from the interior. Um, that that that's a big problem. That's how quarterbacks get injured. And so, yeah, a quick, short, intermediate passing game. Don't try to stretch the field. See, you can run a little bit on the Rams. The Eagles did. Um, they're they're susceptible to the run. I think they're. I think they've given up the seventh most uh, rushing yards in football. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, they they can be run on. So if I mean, like, granted, the Cardinals have no pass protection up front, and they can't run block either. So. 
if you, if you want to try to give David Johnson 30 plus touches, you know, and see if he can manufacture yards, which he's capable of doing, um, see what that gets you. And again, you're at home. Maybe that means something for a quarter, quarter and a half. Um, I think the Rams are going to pin their ears back and try to rattle Josh Rosen, force some turnovers. Uh, I, I think that this is going to be a game. The longer the Rams allow the Cardinals to hang around, I, I think the Cardinals could be semi-competitive in the sense that, you know, the Rams have not been world beaters lately. They've looked incredibly average. They lost to what's become just kind of a mediocre Philadelphia team on the road. This is their second consecutive week on the road. Um, but these are games they have to win. They want to try to keep pace for the number one seed. Uh, the bears are right on their heels. I mean, if they lost this game, geez, that, that would be kind of a killer to their season yeah. and their momentum right now. But I, I, I think they're going to come out. They're going to come out incredibly sharp. I think they're going to be more cutthroat probably offensively. I think we're going to see less Gurley. Gurley's got some inflammation on his knee. I think we're going to see Jared Goff try to quiet the naysayers. And I think he's going to have a big game. Uh, and then, you know, defensively for the Cardinals again, uh, you know, they, they have really no will to play hard at this point. And so, you know, I, I could see this getting out of hand early, but it, you know, if the Cardinals are able to hang around, it'll, it needs to mirror something to the effect of the Atlanta game, that first quarter where the Cardinals were competitive. They drove the ball down. They scored a touchdown early. Um, if you're able to do something like that, I think the Rams could let you hang around, but I just don't see it all that likely. But if you're going to leave Josh Rosen in there, you better, like you mentioned, have a quick cook and you better be careful with the amount of dropbacks you give him. Because again, this offensive line is a complete shiv. It has no business starting. This is worse than a preseason offensive line. And then you couple that again, which is how generic and predictable this coaching staff is with the schemes that they run. The, Wade Phillips is going to have people flying at Rosen. He's got 16 picks in, in limited action this year. It's no question, you know, you, you can, you can score points on this Cardinal offense as crazy. That, that is to say he's got four pick sixes this year. I mean, it's just fluky stuff has happened, yeah. but at the same time you, you can rattle this unit. They have no deep threat with, with, um, you know, their best receiver, in my opinion, uh, going down for the season. Larry Fitzgerald is, is a glorified slot receiver tight end at this point. When Christian Kirk went down, they lost all, you know, a semblance of a, of a vertical passing game. And so, you know, if you can get David Johnson mixed up in the passing game, that's great. Quick hitters, screens, that kind of thing. But man, oh man, you better be careful. If Rosen goes down, it's going to be hard to come on this podcast next week and, and be a fan of this franchise, in my opinion, because that that's the nail in the coffin for just how you just bundle a season in, in a complete and utter embarrassing fashion. So they, they, they need to be extra careful. I'm sure Michael Bidwell is, is letting them know. Yeah, and that, and that's where at least we'll see how it'll go for the uh, the Rams. If if the Cardinals had shown any type of com- competitiveness against the Falcons, and it wasn't like a yeah we're going downhill, this is like the nail in the you know kind of the the coffin kind of already had the nails in it. Now it was just lowered into the grave during the Falcons. The last two games of throwing the dirt on top of it. As far as Steve Wilkes, if they had shown any type of competitiveness against the Falcons, I think we'd be talking about how this is a Rams team that struggled. How Jared Goff has been under pressure and how they've been you know not as effective at least. But the fact that they're going to probably have a couple of new running backs arresting Todd Gurley seems likely at this point. So those running backs have something to prove. They'll probably run the ball a lot to try to keep them upright. This is a team that also will be able to score pretty much uh, well using the misdirection that fooled the Cardinals so easily against the Falcons throughout much of the season. That seems to be one of the hallmarks of Wilkes. 
whether it's not able to make adjustments or whether it's that they're just not built to be able to have misdirection because misdirection gets guys out of their gaps and he's a very gap disciplined person i think the rams are going to have a comfortable win i don't think it's going to maybe be as comfortable as another 40 point burger but it, it would not shock me if it ends up having another 40 point burger at least would be there i still think it's going to be more closer to the tune of 31 to i'll go with 10 the Cardinals 31 to 10 Rams, but I think that the Rams are going to be up 24 to three at the end of the first half. So I think it's going to be more of like a running the clock out. Um, Cardinals maybe make a little bit of a play at least or two or something. I do think there'll be at least some plan defense since Goff has had trouble protecting the ball. Um, but yeah, that's going to be like my prediction. What would you predict at least for the game, John? I think the Cardinals are going to have a chance to score in the first half. Uh, I like your prediction. I think it's it's right on the money. I would go something to the effect of I think they're going to score 40-plus points against this team. Maybe they're going to good, yeah. no, no mercy because I think they're trying to get right um, because if they were embarrassed on Sunday night and they haven't played well in a while. They they they. It's almost like Jared Goff's been broken since the Kansas City win. Uh, where they were out of control and scored 50 plus points. I will go um, 42-7 is, is my total. I think David Johnson gets a, a lone rushing touchdown, mm-hmm. maybe in the first half. Uh, they're going to be down early, though, and this is they're going to get booed off the field. And I think you could see Steve Wilkes be fired after this game. I thought you could have seen him lose his job after last week. It's We don't even talk about that being a possibility for him to lose his job because it's a certainty now i mean everybody knows he's going to lose his job so yeah um i don't and then i think he'd probably let byron leftwich coach the team in the season finale i think that's a real possibility that'd be interesting to see as far as a possibility if you wanted to see what he'd do for a game plan i think that what they'll probably do is keep him in for the last two games of the year and again i think that's been the case all season long because even though we kind of know that this is probably the case in the writing of the wall because he's a first year head coach and because i just think that it's it's such a tough look for the again any other coach that wants to come in here to be like hey you're only going to get you know 14 games because or 15 games i should say because that's how many steve welks got you only have 15 games to get this figured out. i think that the full season at least and then the evaluation will be what they'll be able to have but overall like i said it's like it's it just feels like it's a lame duck at this point and vegas is even putting out the odds he's the highest odds of getting fired as a head coach and some of that is because maybe there's a surprise firing one or two weeks before and since he's a first year he'll make it but yeah interestingly enough the rams have only scored 40 points um once throughout this entire season they've only scored 50 i believe it was 54 for that chiefs game it felt a lot of people have compared it to the 2015 arizona cardinals even gerard powers compared it with the saints and even the rams i think he compared it to looks like they're running out of gas kind of at the wrong time of like there's so much that was happening whether it was with the scoring so many of those tough wins it just feels like they're kind of running out of gas at the wrong time uh, however the rams have at least scored at least 30 points at least in let me just see here one two was three Oh, they, they, uh, was it four, five, six. Oh, this is crazy. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, there's nine games so far, at least this season overall. They've scored 30 uh, points or more. And that doesn't even count like the fact that, you know, some of these were 38, 39, like just below 40 points. So I think maybe my end of as far as 31, maybe that's a little bit low. Maybe it'd be closer to 36 39 perhaps maybe a little bit well, the only the only chance i could see them not going to 40 if, it, if they sit girly and uh they run the ball and they kind of yeah, just I, like oh, i think really could sit out second half i really do he's got the inflammation out the first half would be interesting if they don't even start him they've got a good yeah. running back at least behind him and john kelly and they've got another running back and see i think it was a cj anderson that they yeah signed they just week. signed yeah, I, yeah. I, I could i could see girly dressing and then they're going through the motions and then just saying, you know what, we yep. don't need him this game. And Gurley's a big team guy anyway. You know Gurley would be fine with that. 
and getting ready for for the stretch run. Um, and you and really, you let Jared Goff go out there and prove to everybody then that like, I'm not a product of this offense with Gurley. I can do this by myself. And if he is a franchise quarterback, he ought to be able to shred this Cardinal defense without Todd Gurley. Yep. I would agree with that. That'll wrap it up at least for this edition here of the bird gang blitz. Again, you make sure you can follow us on Apple podcasts or available on Google play podcasts as well. Also available on Spotify. Uh, our host site we have always will be posted onto the revenge of the birds um, website as well. We've got some articles that are going to be going up there. One of the biggest ones, obviously will be just kind of the comparisons of seeing where the Cardinals, how they'll rebuild. I know that I would recommend everyone We'll be definitely talking a lot of draft, um, even, some at least probably later uh you know with the, over the next few weeks do go and re-listen at least to john ledyard um he had a great guest spot at least on our, our earlier pod he went over at least if the cardinals he assumed that the cardinals would be picking number one they would be moving on from their head coach his rebuilding plan and that ultimately would start with uh you know one player we'll probably be talking about in the near future meantime thanks again for tuning in everyone make sure you're following us on twitter as well at rotb pod is the and as well as using the rotb pod hashtag as well thanks again and have a good night hello you're listening to simone de roche for one of the hosts of the polygon show it's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food soft drinks and tv shows as we are about video games every friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.